We are, we're in the middle of a series called, What Does God Want? It's a good question, all right? And we based this series around the big, big, big picture of things that I have the opportunity to be a part of. And Don and I have gone to uh, Haiti and the DR and a few other places here locally in the, in the Carolinas to work with church planners and church pastors to talk through what we would call the foundations of the church, right? The DNA, if you will, uh, of the church. It's not, you know, it's, there's lots of uh, denominations and there's lots of expressions and there's lots of ways in which people do church. But we want to make sure the foundation is answering this question and comes from the answer to this question. Now, most of us can't get to this question, what does God want? Because we usually get stuck, and listen, it's okay. We usually get stuck with, well, what does God want for my family, right? What does God want for my kids? What does God want for my church? Sadly, the one we get mostly stuck on is what does God want for me, right? And we could never really drill down to the, to the root of the actual question, which is just period. According to scripture, what does God want? Here our theme verse kind of answers this for us. This is in Habakkuk. As the waters fill the sea, the earth will be filled with an awareness of the what? Yeah, let's read it out loud. Like we can all read. Okay, you ready? We're gonna, as the waters fill the sea, like this is the goal, the earth will be filled with an awareness of what? The glory of the Lord, right? The glory of God. So when we answer this question, what does God want? Go to the next slide. It's to be glorified in all things, through all things. That's what God wants. And Pastor Don kicked us this off last week with a wonderful message. I can't go back and re retrace everything, but I'm going to go through the three, the three statements he had you repeat because they're just good things to remember as we go through the foundation of the movement of God. What does the movement of God look like? This movement that he's a part of to be glorified, that all things would bring glory to him. All right. We're going to go through those three statements. I'm going to have you repeat them after me like Don did last week. So you can kind of get them in your head. All right. The first one is this, that his glory, it's gone. Where is the thingy? I don't know. There's some math symbols in there that are missing this week. So, okay. All right. Let me go ahead and give you, yeah, Dan had it. Well, I'm going to give it to you just like it's a surprise. It's a mystery day. Okay. His glory is greater than our story. You guys ready? Say it with me. His glory is greater than our story, our story right? That, that this shouldn't be a shock, right? This isn't a shock to most people, but it's the idea that, look, if what God wants is to be glorified and it's his glory and his, the awareness of his glory to fill the earth, that's always going to take precedence over our story, right? Over our lives, over what we are consumed and, and, and kindly anxious over and worried about and talking about day by day. God's move and his movement is driven by this. And the great thing about that, and we're just going to do the great thing about it, is that we don't have to create a movement for God. He's already on the move. We join the movement of God, which is why it's not about us creating something for him. It's the fact that, no, no, his glory is greater than our story because we connect to his movement. Here's the next one. Should be an equals. Oh, hey, wow, you guys are fast. Go, go tech team. All right. All right. His, no, that one's not ready. Every believer is a missionary. There you go. Let's say it together. Every believer 
is a missionary, all right? This is coming to the understanding that when, once you give your life to Christ, once you begin to follow him, you are now an ambassador. That all of the scripture that talks about sharing the love of God with others, loving your neighbor as yourself, everything, when Jesus said, love others as I've loved you, everything is pointing to the fact that you and I become ambassadors for him to be able to reconcile people back to God. This is, our, this is, like, this is the primary role of our role in the movement, is that every believer is a missionary. And then he ended last week with this, and I'll, 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 I'm going to springboard off of this, that a church, lowercase c, is always less than the church. Let's just say that together, okay? Don't worry about that word yet, but a church is less than the church. Say it one more time. A church is less than the church, capital C church, which if you've heard other people talk about it, it's like it's the kingdom of God, right? It's the kingdom. Like, like a church is always going to be less than the church or the kingdom of God. And we're going to actually drill down into this today. Don read our, our mission statement. Our mission statement as a church that we're transformed people, right? That's God's glory. Changing our friends' lives. That's us being every believer's a missionary by the absolute hope of Jesus, right? The absolute hope who is Jesus Christ. That's why we point to something so big as a church. We don't point to ourselves. We don't self-promote. We don't constantly come back and like, well, our job is to get everybody to come here. Our job is to get everybody to become little journeyites, right? We don't even use that language, right? Why? Because we are all, us and all the churches in this community, we're all pointing to absolute hope. We're all pointing to Jesus. Because a church, our church, as much as I love Journey Church, I love this church, okay? It is always going to be less than the church, less than the kingdom of God, which is why we need every single church, every gospel teaching, every church in our area that proclaims the person of Christ, we need them to be wildly successful, right? They're never competition, right? We want them to be wildly successful in their mission and in their vision and in their expression as a local church, and some people don't get that. Like some people kind of still don't get it. We asked this question, Don and I asked this question when we were doing training with pastors. And listen, pastors feel the pinch of this more than you will, but I think you'll get the hang of it. Okay, I think you'll get the, the gist. We asked this question. All right, so what if, what would happen if God answered every prayer, right? God answered every prayer for your city, every prayer for your family, every prayer that you've ever had where you've beseeched and asked God to do a mighty work in your life and through your life? And what if God did exactly that, but he used life fellowship down the road and not Journey Church? How excited are you going to be? Oh, there you go. All right, Holly. Yeah. She's a leader. She's been through this before. Am I, am I right, though? Listen, that, that is a very, that's a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a piercing question to most pastors and leaders because we, again, we sometimes don't get past what does God want for our church versus just the big, big picture of the, of the movement of God to say, man, you just, want your, you just want to be glorified. And we do that. We want to be a part of, of a church that's doing that, pointing everyone to absolute hope. And we want to lock arms with brothers, brothers and sister churches in our area that all do the exact same thing, pointing everyone to Jesus. That's a movement. And that's a movement built by the kingdom. This is a great quote by Dwight Smith. 
And he says, look, whatever God is going to do in the world, he's going to do through, say the word out loud, all of Christ's people, the church, right? Whatever he's going to do, it ain't going to be because journeys all that. Are you with me? You know, we're not God's gift to Huntersville, all right? Whatever he's going to do, he's going to do it through all of his church, through all of his people, because that's how he designed his movement. That's how he fuels it, as we're going to talk about today, with the power of the king and the power of the kingdom. So I'm going to use this word kingdom quite a bit today, and I want you to kind of get a good definition so we can all be on the same page right out of the gate. What is the kingdom? There's a great quote from Tim Keller. He's a pastor. He used to be a pastor up in New York, uh, still pretty influential. He talked about the kingdom like this. It's the renewal of the whole world through the entrance of supernatural forces. As things are brought back under Christ's rule and authority, his rule and reign, they are then restored to health and beauty and freedom. That's what the kingdom is. Now, I have a a little bit more of a simpler definition that we can kind of wrap our minds around, all right? That the kingdom is whenever and wherever the king gets what he wants, right? Isn't that good? Let's just say it together. It's whenever and wherever the king gets what he wants. We already know what he wants, right? To be glorified. That's what he wants. And the kingdom is moving and the kingdom is happening and the kingdom is present and the kingdom is, is in power and the kingdom is being experienced whenever and wherever the king is getting what he wants. And there is one primary thing, believe it or not, there is one primary thing that is in direct conflict with the kingdom of God. And I'll give you a hint. It's not the devil. Okay? There's one thing that's in constant conflict with the kingdom in this life. And here it is. It's your kingdom. It's whenever and whenever you get, or let me just better say, spend your entire life trying to get what you want. That's what's in direct conflict to the kingdom. It's your kingdom. It's you. And it's me. I'm going to point at you. It's me. It's us. Right? Because we're going to spend our whole lives striving and trying to get what we think we want. And it's going to be in constant tension and constant contrast and constant pulling away like two opposite ends from the kingdom of God. And most people are very smart. I say that to you because you're all very smart people. You come here, right? I get that. You're very smart. Most of you would say, well, I don't set myself up as, as the king or the queen I would never say that. I would never set myself up in that kind of position with God. That's true. Most of us are smart enough not to do that. The question is, what do you spend your life pursuing? What do you spend your life trying to advance? What do you spend most of your life worried about? What do you spend most of your life anxious about? What do you spend most of your life talking about? Whose kingdom? You right with me? Yeah, whose kingdom? In case you didn't know this, this is a great little uh, stat from the Gospels. Jesus, we're going to talk about how Jesus talked about the kingdom. He references the kingdom 121 times in the Gospels. 
but that's just what we have recorded. How many times did he reference the church? Say it like it's on the screen. Yeah, two times, okay? Doesn't minimize the church, but there again, the a church is always less than the kingdom, the church, right? He spent a lot of time talking about the kingdom, the kingdom. Whenever and whenever the king gets what he wants, the kingdom is advancing. He spent a lot of time giving word pictures and illustrations of what the kingdom looked like and how, how it affects us. And so that's what we're going to spend some time this morning looking at. If you want to turn to your Bible to Matthew 13, <clears throat> Matthew 13, I'm going to start here. We're going to bounce around a couple places, but it's mainly going to be in Matthew today. But a couple of different ways in which Jesus expressed the kingdom whenever and wherever he gets what he wants. The king gets what he wants. Matthew 13, verse 44, I want you to see this. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure, okay? Buried in a field that a man found and then reburied. Now this, again, Jesus knows his audience. This would have been very common to them. They didn't have safe deposit boxes and all sorts of things. You know, back then it was like, if you had something incredible value, you might have drew a little map, found a place on your land, buried it, hid it. To, to, you know, to keep it safe. Maybe the master died. Maybe he didn't have children. You know, there's lots of reasons that maybe something of great value would have been left. And this guy just stumbles upon it, stumbles upon it. He finds it and then he reburies it. And then I want you to see this. Then in his joy, he goes and sells everything he has to buy the field. In his joy, he considers it worth everything to sell everything he has, to go purchase the field that has the treasure in it. Same thing, he keeps going. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant that's actually in search of fine pearls. So this one, first one kind of just stumbled across it. The other one's looking for it, looking for value, looking for something of significance. But then he finds one priceless pearl, one. He went and sold everything he had just to buy it. Now, the emphasis on this is not the purchasing, okay? So don't get any weird legalistic theology from this. We don't buy our freedom. We don't buy our salvation. We don't buy the kingdom of God. Jesus gives this word picture, not because of the emphasis of buying, but the emphasis of the value of the treasure, the value of what was there, that it was worth everything, right? Good two words to remember that it, that it was a joyful exchange, it was a joyful exchange to give up everything I have for the treasure in the field, to sell everything, to get, get rid of everything. I'm searching for vast treasure, for, for beautiful pearls. I found one, and it's a joyful exchange to, to count everything else as lost if I can just have this one treasure, just this one, which is the first point for the kingdom is that it has to become a priority. The kingdom is set in Scripture as the priority. Pursuing the kingdom over everything else, even our own success and survival. Now that last part feels extreme, I know. That last part feels a little extreme. But it's a passionate pursuit of the kingdom. That, that doesn't necessarily mean that our lives don't have value. They just pale in comparison to the kingdom. Everybody with me? They just pale in comparison to the treasure. 
And so even at the sake of our own survival, even at the sake of our own success, we'll trade it all, we'll give it all, we'll be generous, we'll sacrifice for the treasure, for the kingdom. Made me think of just this past uh, couple weeks, Marvel had one of their big new movies that came out. Um, it was the, the Ten Rings movie. And I'm telling you, they were surprised. It went about $80 million the first weekend. It was just a theater release. It, rem- it was a reminiscent of the old Avenger days, you know, the big thing where people would like, you know, sit in line for advanced tickets and, you know, wait and spend a week's wages, you know, on popcorn and things for the whole family to go sit for three hours, you know, and watch these movies. The new Spider-Man's coming out in December. My daughter already has the day and her work's booked off. Like, she already told her work. Can't work that day. You, you with me? Priority, right? Priority. And yet, when you think about it, no one, no one does that. No one, no group of people spend $80 million in the midst of a pandemic to fight the crowds to go see a movie about someone living their life in moderation. You with me? Boy, I sure hope he gets that work-life balance thing figured out. Can't wait to watch that. So I know it feels a little extreme to say this treasure is so valuable that you should lose everything, that it would be worth it, it would be a joyful exchange to lose it all, to be to, to your success and your survival, to give it all away for him. But you just have to understand, that's why we understand the treasure to be so important that the kingdom of God is viewed as this treasure. Some of you guys make things your highest priority, and you want to say it's God, but I want to ask you what you're known for. I want to ask you what you talk most about. Most of us are known for our position on where we stand with masks. Okay, most of us are known for our political president, the previous one or the current one, or the one that's 20 or 30, 40 years ago. Most of us can be known about how we've centered our lives around our children. Most of us can be known for so many other things about our kingdom that regardless of what we say, regardless of how many times you come to church, regardless of what scripture's on the bottom of your email, you have not set the kingdom of God as the highest priority in your life. Because you spend so much of your time focused on your kingdom. And again, I just I don't I want you to be convicted by that. I just want you to listen and just begin to weigh out do I really see the treasure as being worth everything? Do I really see the kingdom, the power of the king? And the kingdom, and this is, and I don't let me pick on you because I'm a Canadian, but listen, Americans are sometimes the worst Christians, all right? You want to know why? Because we're all, because we're Americans. We're all, freedom, and right here, and no one tells me what to do, totalitarian, something or other. <laughs> I got news for you. If you're a follower of Christ, you have a king. You have a king. And, and, and the best life you can live is fully submitted and fully surrendered to his rule and reign in every domain of your life. Everybody with me? Yeah, that's a golf clap for the Americans. I mean, you got, I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying we can be, right? We can be the worst at this. We let all these other things about our kingdom 
get in the way of him saying, man, listen, God, listen, he is not against you. He's not against your dreams and your passions and your heart and your abilities and your gifts and your talents. He's not against any of those things. He just told us in Matthew, you're going to seek the kingdom first, and all these other things will be added to you, right? He just, he makes it extraordinarily clear. He is not against you, but he is against anything that we prioritize above his kingdom. Because it, it is the treasure in the field that's worth everything to purchase. It is the priceless pearl. Let's keep going. This is another way in which Jesus describes the kingdom of God. This is in Matthew uh, 5. That you are the salt of the earth. He's talking about us, the kingdom of God of the, in terms of the people of God. What good is salt if it's lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? No, it's going to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that can't be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. Instead, the lamp is placed on the stand where it gives light to everyone. Everyone benefits from this. Everyone in the house. In the same way, you let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will give, will praise. Another translation says, give glory, right? What he wants to your heavenly father. That that's the big picture. This is called the power and the presence of the kingdom. It's his rule and reign in every domain. Let's just say that out loud because I think it rhymes and it's a good one to remember, okay? Let's, let's do that. It's his rule and reign in every domain, right? Where we live, where we learn, where we work, where we play. It's his rule and reign present in every domain of our life. Wherever we go, the kingdom of God is supposed to go in us. If, if his rule and reign really does exist in every domain of our lives. Now I'm going to give you a quick... Um, uh, a quick visual, because uh, you guys know how much I like these visuals, right? Uh, let's do a quick thing just so we can all agree. This is just a simple box. There's nothing in the box. This is not a magic trick, by the way. All right. <laughs> just a simple box, right? Simple box. But when you close the box up, how many of you guys would agree that it is dark in this box? Yes? It's completely dark in this box. All right? Now, this is the fun stuff. Now, how many would agree that although it's a very small hole, how many of you agree that there is now light in this box? Yeah, you would agree with that, right? There's now light in this box. Even though it's just a little, I mean, it's just a small hole. Now I'm going to do something really dangerous. You guys ready? I'm going to let the darkness out of the box. What happened? Nothing, right? Nothing happened. This is why I love this visual. See, this is just one small hole and you might be the only one on your staff. You might be the only one at work. You might be the only one in your group. You might be the only one of your friends. You might be the only one of your kids' friends in the neighborhood. You might be the only one in your neighborhood who confesses Jesus Christ as Lord of their life. But guess what? There's light because you're there. Doesn't matter how dark it is. 
there's light because you are there. If the rule and reign of Christ is in every domain of your life, oh, how bright that light shines. And it's silly to assume when I open it up that the darkness is going to overcome the light. That's not how God designed it. It's also silly to assume that at any point in your life that the darkness is going to overcome the light of Christ in you. That's silly. To ever assume the darkness can diminish the light of the king in your life. The difference is, have we surrendered everything, right? Are we surrendering everything? Go to the next line. To the king in order to advance the kingdom wherever we go. Because that does depend on how bright the light shines. Have we surrendered everything? Have we given it all to him? Our time, our talents, our resources, our money, our family, our careers. Have we given it all to him so that, listen, no matter what we do, that's the whole scripture, right? Wherever you go, whatever you do, you do it all for the glory of God because that's what he wants. And if his rule and reign is actually happening, then we, we bring the power and the presence of God anywhere we go. And that's the kingdom on the move. That's a kingdom movement. You say, well, how do we know if it's working? Well, this is a great phrase. We love teaching this phrase when we teach churches just so that people can get excited. I love this phrase too. It's a great thing to remember. What the king touches, the king changes. What the king touches, the king changes. We had the most fun with this, didn't we, Don, in Haiti? We had the most fun with this. I'll tell you why. All right, quick story. You didn't pay extra for this. This is, this is going to be free, all right? Quick story. I, um, if you think I sweat profusely now, okay, in an air-conditioned room with two fans on me, just imagine a seven- or eight-hour training session in the middle of the day in Haiti in these cinder block churches with no, no air, no power, nothing, and it's 187 degrees out, all right? <laughs> And then in the cinder block, in order to let light in, they have these little designs, right? Little designs in the cinder block. And, and they're just kind of, they're very small, but every once in a while, let me just tell you, every once in a while, a little breeze comes through and you're just, oh, praise Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. If I could have 12 more of those right now, it'd be amazing. So I'll tell the Haitians about it. I'll be like, do you have any idea how significant that breeze just felt on me? And I said, that breeze is like a man-made movement. It can sure seem like a lot for a moment. But a movement that's fueled by the king is like a hurricane. And all of them know what a hurricane does. Say, what does a hurricane do? Hurricanes change the landscape. That's what hurricanes do. They level forests. They change river, river, the way the rivers run. They change so much. And I said, guys, that's how you can tell. That's how you can tell if you're a part of a movement, if you're allowing the king to rule and reign in your life, that if your life is being fueled by the king and fueled by his kingdom, that I can promise you that whatever the king touches in your life, the king will change. That's how you know that it's working. Now, I'll say this just to encourage you as a follower of Christ. Don't get so caught up in the stuff that hasn't changed yet. I mean, listen, I spend a lot of time not counseling because I don't counsel good, but I do have conversations with people, right? As a pastor, it's my job. And you'll be so surprised at the number of people that 
really don't feel like they're getting anywhere in their faith. And as someone on the outside looking in, they can tell me some of their story, and I can just see it on the outside looking in. I can just see God moving and God working and amazing things that have happened. And part of my job is just to go back to them and say, I don't understand how you can't see it because I can see it. You can't see the forest for the trees because you're in it. But I'm telling you, and that's one of the reasons we need community. That's one of the reasons we need each other. Because sometimes we can't see it, but I'm telling you what the king touches the king changes. That's how you know that has, you've really surrendered that area of your life to Christ. That you surrendered to the rule and reign of the king in you. And it affects everyone. This is one of the last things I'll give you. This is in, um, or actually, let me give you this quote because this brings up the next point. The message we take to transform the world is only as strong as the transformation that first takes place within us. We know this. This isn't brand new information. But I think sometimes we pray for God to do a hurricane work in other people. And we are so satisfied with a breeze in our own life. We are praying for God to do a hurricane work in a family member or a friend or one of our children or somebody at work. But we haven't surrendered to the rule and reign of king, of the king in, in a part of our lives, and, and we're just going to be okay with a little breeze every once in a while. Guys, it's the, it's the transformation in us that affects the transformation of others. That's what it means to bring the kingdom with us wherever we go. Jesus gave another example back in Matthew 13. He gave several examples, by the way. Go back and read Matthew 13. It's wonderful. Several examples of what the kingdom looks like, what the kingdom looks like. Here's another one. Kingdom of heaven is like yeast a woman used in making bread. And even though she only put a little yeast in three measures of flour, huge, it permeated every part of the dough. God often used this example in, in good and bad ways in the New Testament in terms of talking about how that works. But the idea of permeate means that, that just that little bit, that little bit of salt, that little bit of light just goes through every bit of it. Everybody make sense? It goes through every bit of it. And this is what happens when God's people, with his purpose, begin to move in the movement of God, begin to be these kingdom uh, disciples in the kingdom movement of God. I'm going to read the phrase really quickly, but then I'm going to go back to the, to the word that I highlighted. We're a people and a purpose, transformed people, unified to expand the kingdom until all things are redeemed and restored, right? That's, that's our role. We're a kingdom people with a kingdom purpose. We are transformed, like, like Bob Roberts' quote there, we're transformed, unified to expand the kingdom until all things are redeemed. But I love these words. It's a horrible use of the English language, but I don't care. Unignorable. Right? This is the, this is the hurricane. This is, the, this is the, the king touches and the king changes. We want to see transformed people that's got an unignorable difference happening in their life. Okay? I was talking with uh, John. He got baptized a few weeks ago. And one of the things he, he, in his testimony was he was just talking about his anger. You know, he's a young man, and he just talked about the anger that used to fill him. And he was like, and, and, and he thought he was on a good track. He was going to church and doing some things, and then his mom passed away, and things just rocked him. And then he, he actually told me, he's like, I just went down this dark hole. 
And it wasn't until some surrender all began to happen in his life where he began to surrender, even with questions. He still has questions. He surrendered these areas of his life, and he said the biggest thing he noticed was his anger. His anger, you know, that he would take out on his family, his anger that he would take out on people. He's like, it just wasn't there anymore. And guys, that's, I mean, I'm telling you, that's, this is more than yoga and meditation. You guys with me? Like, that's, that is the unignorable difference when you begin to see the transformation happen in your life. An unignorable influence happens when Christians, all Christians, begin to lock arms to face the problems of our community, to face the issues of our day, and to begin to bring hope and absolute hope to others. There's an influence there that's unignorable, that, that, that regardless. And the reason that we know it exists right now is because if the kingdom of God right now, if the, every church that proclaims the gospel were to leave the Lake Norman region, I can promise you there would be a big black hole that people would miss us. They would miss us. That's why the kingdom of God is at work in this community. But we need to be able to have our individual role where it's like, you know what? If I left my neighborhood, would my neighbors miss me? Really, like, if I left my job, outside of the, the fact that maybe you're, you, know, you were good at your job, which is great, that's part of glorifying God. But would someone sit around six months later and be like, yeah, there was just something different. There was just something different about them when they were here. Culture was different. The air was different. Something was, it was an unignorable influence of people of the kingdom of God, where his rule and reign was where we went. And it has an unignorable impact. There is the opportunity to see marriages restored. There's an opportunity to see addictions broken. There's an opportunity to see death come to life in people's, in people's spirit and souls. There's an opportunity for orphans and widows to be cared for and for the, and for the, and for the victims to be able to have a, a defender. There's an opportunity for social justice to begin to happen in a way that's long-term and a real change in our life. And it all has to do with where the people of God, the kingdom disciples of God, are going to show up and be the light in the darkness, and be the salt in the earth. And for his kingdom, with his purpose, we're going to do that. And this is, this is another great way to remember that, is that really the more I surrender to the king, the greater that impact, that unignorable impact of the kingdom happens to those around me. So I just want you to think for a minute, because I know it's, again, we're talking about foundations of the, the church and how it affects everything we do as a church, and how it kind of moves us forward. But I never want us to lose the personal challenge of understanding that the more you and I, the more we surrender to the king, the greater the impact on my family, on my friends. You know, God's given every one of us a circle. We're going to talk more about that next week. God's given every one of us a circle of impact, of responsibility, of accountability. And in that circle are friends and family and coworkers and neighbors and kids, other kids' parents and friends and acquaintances and networking partners and clients across the board. And the greater the surrender of my life to the king, the greater the impact the kingdom gets to have on everyone in that circle, everyone around me, because I'm the light. Even if I'm the only one, 
I'm the light wherever I go. Sometimes I like questions. Um, I'm the exact opposite of my wife. She loves answers. Anybody with me on that? Yes? Okay. It's not that, we're not the only one in that marriage. I can tell you that right now. Yeah. So very rarely do I like to end messages on a question, but I'm going to today because I want this to be your homework. I want this to be the thing you walk away with. I, want this, I don't want you to get lost today in a big sea of the kingdom and the, the vast treasure that we all, that everything about us is insignificant in comparison to that, and we should lay it all down for the kingdom. I want you to just think about just for you and your circle, you and your life, your top five, your circle. I just want you to think, okay? What would happen if God got what he wanted? What would happen? Right? What would happen in your marriage? What would happen with your siblings? What would happen with your kids? What would happen at your work? If God got what he wanted, don't focus on how he would do a hurricane in everybody else's life. Focus on you. What would it look like if God got what he wanted? If everything was surrendered to the rule and reign of every domain in my life, and we began to see that happen in the world, that would be an amazing kingdom movement of God. But I'm telling you, is happening. We're just invited to join it and to be a part. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for today. God, I just, I admit that for me, sometimes I am so overwhelmed by the darkness around me, the feeling of chaos, the feeling of being out of control, the, the feeling that there's not much I can do, that I forget that one small hole brings the light. That, God, you've placed me where you've placed me in the circles of my life so that I could bring the power and the presence of the King with me wherever I go. And, God, I pray for everybody listening and watching online and a part of this movement as a church. God, we want to be a part of your kingdom movement. And so, God, we're going to ask that question this week. We're going to say, what would happen if you got what you wanted? What would happen if the kingdom was happening in my life? It wasn't about my kingdom, God. It was about the kingdom, your kingdom. And, God, would we begin to see the treasure in the field? Would we begin to see your kingdom as the, as the one priceless pearl that's worth everything, even at the expense of our own success and survival? It's worth everything. We thank you, Jesus. We pray all of this in your name. Amen.